Hey everyone, welcome back to all my listeners. Now, if it's your first time finding me, thanks so much and welcome. Now, I hope you're all having a great day so far. I know I am. Now, you know what? Still the month of March and it's full of March Madness. That's right. Basketball, March Madness basketball is in full swing. Now, there were so many upsets on day one and day two of last week. It was complete insanity. All of our brackets across the nation were busted. So, you know what? I just made myself some more. And I'm so very looking forward to all of those Sweet 16 games on Thursday, the day after this podcast drops. I've missed my March Madness basketball for these past couple of years due to the COVID-19 coronavirus pandemic. But my basketball's here, so I can't wait. I'm so happy. I think you can all hear it in my voice. So anyway, you guys, welcome. Welcome to my 12th episode of season five. Today is Wednesday, March 23rd, 2022. My name is Sonal Patel, and this is the Paint the Medical Picture podcast series. Now, all right, guys, I'm going to be diving into my compliance tip today and sharing some details on the new modifier, FT. That's F as in Frank, T as in Tom. And I'm going to continue part two of my red carpet interview in my very special guest interview with Kate Petskovska. And of course, I close out today's episode with some inspirational words on clarity and focus from Zig Ziglar. If you've checked me out on LinkedIn, you know I'm all about compliance and protecting our physicians and our valued healthcare professionals when it comes to the business of medicine. I hope this week with me brings you enough to take back to your organizations, to want to dive in deeper, to use my tips and best practices to ensure success. I hope this podcast will help you boost the quality of documentation capture and improve coding accuracy as you help your providers paint the medical picture. If you like what you're hearing, please go ahead and hit that subscribe button now so you don't miss another episode. Please write in a review and kindly drop me a five-star rating on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to my podcast. I'd really love your support. And as always, a very friendly disclaimer. Remember, I'm bringing you the news, current healthcare industry news, my compliance tips and my recommendations based on my over 10 years of experience in front office in backend, in coding, and in billing for multi-specialty physicians, in compliance, and in auditing for both ENM and surgical operative reports. These are my opinions alone and are not to be construed as legal advice. Spot on. Well, we agree there. I love it. I love it, Kate. Perfect. Now, let's move on. To my next question, right? Because this is where I want to uncover your tips, right? Now, you know that I'm all about working smarter for coding compliance and affecting change, real change in this space of healthcare. But I want to hear your voice and what your thoughts are. Can you provide my audience with your top tips based on your experience for successfully billing for providers of all specialties? Oh, absolutely. What are your tricks? Yeah. (laughs) My number one trick is basically training the front staff. It gets overlooked because all the time the provider thinks, well, I get a receptionist and I'll just, you know, schedule uh, with check eligibility. 
However, you know, registering the patients, uh, putting the proper information, data entry, um, you know, verifying not only the eligibility and making sure that the patient actually has the insurance, but also training them how to look at the benefits and how these benefits apply and financially affect the treatment, uh, whether or not the patient has a copay, whether or not the patient has a, a co-insurance or deductible, for example, too. Because uh, recently, for example, in allergy world, a lot of uh, testing is going towards diagnostics, quotes unquote. So they will say, and even though it's not a lab, you're doing the test in the office because there's a separate code for that. However, you are still using you know, as for diagnostics. So the patient might have a copay just for the visit, and then they might have a co-insurance or a deductible might mm -hmm. apply towards those diagnostic testing. And the front staff has to realize that they are the first line of defense. Mm -hmm. They are the ones who have to make sure that all the information that is presented here and then forwarded over to the biller is proper because again, the biller can put in the code. It's not a big deal. You know, you look it up, you see what the provider has, the physician has performed services. But if that information, the benefits, eligibility, and everything else is not captured by the front staff, then it creates a lot of backlog, number mm -hmm. one. It creates patient dissatisfaction because yes. now the patient says, wait a minute, I thought I had only a copay. Now you're right. telling me I also have to pay a deductible towards mm -hmm. this or whatever mm -hmm. the case might be. And uh, it also creates that disruption of money coming in into your uh, office. So again, all of this, so having them looking at all of this eligibility and benefits, it is extremely uh, imperative for the front office. The other one that I, uh, I have seen a lot too is a date of birth rule, for example, if mm. it's a child and mm. the parent, both of the parents have insurances. Mm -hmm. We had a situation where the uh, parents were divorced Mm -hmm. And unfortunately, the child was under the father's, but the father was under the impression the child was under the mother insurance. And they uh, actually, they had both the same insurance. Oh. <laughs> so uh, the same carrier. <laughs> right. And um, we had a situation where the, the payer mm -hmm. was, well, we're not paying you because the COB is not updated, the coordination oh. of benefits. So uh, who do you put first? Mm -hmm. The mother or the father, you know, and all of those things. And it took them about a whole month to sort everything out. But that's only because it's $11.99. <laughs> and the insurance payer is taking a long time to, you know, to sort it out. But mm -hmm. It was a long time, about a month, until both of the parents had to contact the insurance and let them know what was going on. Because again, the mm -hmm. child is a minor. Right. So this is also one of those things that I try to train the front right. staff and let right. them know that this is what you need. The second thing that I usually do is review code changes and see if any of those apply to your specialty. 
because there are some like allergy, for example, they haven't changed. <laughs> you know, you're using the same codes all the time. The amounts could have changed, you know, mm -hmm. that the insurance will cover or pay for. That's where the reimbursement policy comes in. But a lot of times the code sets itself does not change. But cardiology, for example, changes all the time. Orthopedics changes all the time. Right. DME changes all the time. And that's not just right. the top of my head. ENT <laughs> even changed also. Um, some of the presentations that I have done, they, mm -hmm. they have the new code sets or, uh, you know, dermatology, some of the, some of the codes have changed. Um, I had one where it was about a breast cancer, for example, screenings and stuff. Mm -hmm. And I think two years ago, they completely changed, removed all of the other codes and then gave a completely new set of codes with better definitions and everything. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So I let the provider know you have to update your sheet, which codes are you using, which codes that you're not using. And somebody, part of your staff members, they can just go and look into it, especially if you're certified, you have the books, you have access to APC, for example, codify or something else. And you can look up and say, okay, has anything changed for our 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 specialty mm -hmm. and it helps you to be compliant because again if you are not billing the wrong code that already mm -hmm. expired then you are not getting a denial so again you're setting in the proper uh, right. information the first time right. then we're looking at denial management and this is where I also look at to see whether or not they have a denial management procedure process what do you do? What is your process, the procedures? Um, what are you looking at first? Are you really following, you know, when you get certification, you study in the course, they tell you how to do the ARs, you know, the RCM, the revenue mm -hmm. cycle management. But if you don't practice it after a while, you forget it. Mm -hmm. So sometimes I would ask the office staff and say, well, what do we do? Um, if I had a client, for example, who had two million dollars outstanding ARs oh my and I'm like wait a minute what yeah. happened here <laughs> you know what I mean like why are we why is the number so high what what is going on who who is you know who's looking at this and we also look at the EHRs because EHRs EMRs you know they're supposed to help us yes. identify certain parameters but I have worked with a clinical carrier mm -hmm. practice mm -hmm. fusion and uh, some of them they don't do that they don't uh, identify those particular trends. Mm -hmm. So you yourself have to have a procedure. Uh, uh, what, are you, what are your steps on denial management when we're having that? And do you have a person who's designated for that? Do we have that? If we don't, right. then we have to train somebody and then write the procedures and then, you know, and let them know that this is what we're going to follow. It could change every six months, you know, just to tweak it out and say, okay, well, this doesn't really work out. It takes me a long time to do this you know, give a feedback mm -hmm. um, because nothing is written in stone. That's, mm -hmm. that's my philosophy. Nothing is written in stone. You don't have to follow those stiff rules. If you need to change something and it's easier for you because you're the one who's doing the process, if it's easier for you to change something and it makes it quicker for you to go through the claims and do whatever it is needs to be done, do it. Mm -hmm. uh, write it out again, add it in there, 
have it flu have flu fluidity mm -hmm. you know what i mean um because a lot of times that's another thing that i have noticed a physician says oh well my colleague has this and this is what we're going to follow and i said right. yeah well it might work for that for office, them. but it right. might not work for us exactly. because we only have two people here you mm -hmm. know what i mean and yes. the other office has four people mm -hmm. and again so we don't have that availability of hands on deck per se right. to actually follow through on what they were doing we have to look at it and then add it our or subtract whatever it is that we don't need um and then again what happened with the uh, ars why do we have this amount and identification and everything else and um so that's another thing that I always look at to see. And unfortunately, a lot of providers who are either by themselves or they have only another partner, they usually go into business hoping, oh, I'm going to make money. Right. And then not realizing that there are so many other aspects that they mm -hmm. have to do. Mm -hmm. And they completely skip this step, right. which makes it difficult for them because now six months down the line, you're hiring an outside person trying to go into your system and trying to figure out oh, what actually happened. But if you would have trained your staff on this, um, you know, then you wouldn't have to go through this because your staff would have had answers and they would have said, okay, I went through the ARs, six months, whatever, this is what we have, this is what we can collect, this is what we can't, and then give a progress report. Um, one of those jobs I actually had and gave me fantastic experience was informing urgent care. Mm -hmm. And um, I have to tell you, I absolutely loved that experience because whatever could go wrong, it, it went, went wrong. wrong there. <laughs> yes, absolutely, 100%. There were a lot of issues uh, uh, regarding the business uh, registration for this particular urgent care and another aspect that we had that physical therapy business with there too. Mm -hmm. So there were a lot of uh, denials. There were a lot of other issues there. And I believe hands-on experience, I mean, education is great. Don't get me wrong. You always want to say I am certified, but having that experience of actually doing it with your own hands and saying, yes. Hey, I did this. Mm -hmm. And you know what? Oh yeah. I remember this is a case also. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and then you apply that towards the other businesses and say, no, I work with somebody who had everything wrong there <laughs> and now we are here so i'm helping you to be better you know right. what i mean right so i definitely look at denial management as one of the things that you definitely need to have in your practice it will help out everybody and make it uh easier for you and your staff again to address those denials and the last one that i have that i have noticed was prior authorizations so everybody dreads them. Nobody <laughs> loves prior authorizations. I love prior authorizations. People say I am crazy, but I love prior authorizations because prior authorizations tie into reimbursement policies and medical policies. You have to really be a biller and, and go into the systems with these research to try to figure out or why are we get in the denial or why the authorization is this or whatever the case may be. Um, I have to say, and I'm not tooting my own uh, horn here, but um, 
Um, I deal primarily with uh, prior authorizations for specialty medications, mm -hmm. and we have a 95% approval rate. Um, the other 5% is something that maybe the patient really doesn't qualify for that particular medication, okay. mm -hmm. but they might qualify for another allergy medication or whatever the case specialty mm -hmm. medication mm -hmm. is. And part of that, again, is reimbursement policies. And so my provider will tell, the physician will say, okay, I have this patient. Uh, I think they will qualify. What kind of insurance do they have? Okay, this is what they have. Uh, does it go through medical? Or does it go through pharmacy? So that's another thing that you have to look yes. at. Yeah. And which codes can I use? Can mm -hmm. I use buy and bill? Can I do buy and bill here? Mm -hmm. right. um, you know, that also applies to it because you have to know which codes you're supposed to bill on the claim. Right. Right. So, and the other thing that I also uh, realized is that just because you have an authorization, quote unquote, uh, I love paper. I love to get a fax back. Don't give me over the phone right. because sometimes what happens is that the uh, office staff will call on the phone, mm -hmm. try to give them the information. They get a, what they call a predetermination authorization number. Mm -hmm. And then the physician thinks, oh, we are ready, good to go. We're, We're good to go. go. No, right that away. was just the first step, right? Right. And, right. and I tell them, no, 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 we, we, we have to send in the medical records. Mm -hmm. you, we can't just give them this information. Right. So I'm a big proponent of make sure you give them more than less, you know, okay. and give them the most recent information. So okay. if they are looking for the last date of service or two last dates of service, they're looking for two uh, uh, tests for the patient, mm -hmm. give them three tests for the patient. And I also like to highlight, because what I have noticed, and especially in the last two years with this pandemic, is that whoever is processing these prior authorizations requests, they don't really look at the information. They only skim through it. Right. They look for only specific guidelines that right. maybe the insurance has. And then that's yeah. it. And then they say, okay, it's denied. Right. But right. I say, but wait a minute, but according to your policy, this patient, I sent you this information. And, you know, the pharmacist doesn't call me. It's somebody else who calls me, who mm -hmm. then gives that information to the pharmacist. It's just too many people touching many people. this paperwork. Right. Right. So right. if you if you and your staff are organized in the office, it makes it so much easier because, mm -hmm. again, you know what you sent over to the insurance. You right. have... Uh, highlighted all the things that they were mm. looking for. Mm -hmm. And you can't say, so when they call me and they say, oh, I don't see this particular thing for the patient. I say, wait a minute, I'm going to go into my paperwork, pull the patient up. I said, no, page 14. It's right here on the bottom underneath exactly. with a plan or a procedure or whatever. Perfect. I have, you know, And I you've highlighted it, right. You've right. pointed it out for them to see it directly and clearly. Yes. Correct. And and that just proves to me that mm -hmm. whoever was processing it originally had, you know, wasn't they looking had to through it. They, they weren't, weren't looking, looking mm -hmm. to see because remember, each EHR has a different uh, uh, output, I guess, of how they put the information mm -hmm. into the medical records. That's true. So mm -hmm. 
I could have a plan, for example, last, but maybe a, a clinical has it in the middle. Of in the, the middle. Correct. That's, that's a great point. Yes. So, True. you know, again, they're not going to read every single page, mm -hmm. especially if you're sending 15 pages to mm -hmm. them, you know, via fax or attachment or whatever the case may be. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, they're not going to look through all of that. So um, I like to just circle it. The same thing I do with denials when it comes to prior authorizations. We had situations where we did get the authorization. I did send them. The patient does qualify. But then they say to us, oh, it's investigational. No, it's uh, not. Don't you hate Let's that? Let's look at your reimbursement policy. Right. Let's look mm -hmm. at your codes. Yep. Yes, I I do qualify to build this code. Mm -hmm. And the patient, according to your policy, I don't print out the full policy. What I usually do is I read the denial reason why they did that and mm -hmm. specific code. Right. And then what I do is I go to their policy and print one that particular page. <laughs> and then I Perfect. circle it, mm -hmm. point at it. And I said, wait a minute. And then I write a letter to them. Mm -hmm. I will never forget I had one letter from a medical director that wrote <laughs> well you know you know like a medical director is I'm going to be scared I'm not scared right and <laughs> you know because a lot of times also what I have noticed is that these medical directors they just have an MD but they might not be a specialist in in that particular in that field. particular field I agree I agree it. correct it drives me crazy yes it's very but annoying a lot of physicians, when they see that, they get angry, but a lot of office staff, they get intimidated because now they say, oh my gosh, it's a medical director. They reviewed it. They're not mm -hmm. going to, mm -hmm. to pay us, you know? No, all you have to do is write a nice letter, exactly. put the package together. Exactly. And I remember this particular patient, it was seven months. It took me seven months, but I was able to pay all the claims. But you fought, exactly. You exactly. have to have the gumption to fight. Yes, you can't just roll over and say, oh, well, this medical director yes. said, no, I'm denying everything and just agree. Yes. I, no, I like seeing that in you, in people that are passionate about fighting for the patients, right? We can read yeah. the medical policies ourselves. It's not experimental or investigational. You have the yeah. policy that qualifies the patients, right? Um, if and the medical necessity is met and it was met in this case. And yes, you had to fight for a long time. Seven months is quite long, but the patient got what they needed in the end. And that's yes. what counts. And that's why I say it's betterment for the self when it comes to training. Yes. Because then the office staff understands that they're not powerless. Yes, they, good. They have to understand that mm -hmm. I have rights um, I have the right to appeal this, you know, whether it go never got to external appeal. So this was mm -hmm. still like a second level Good. internal appeal. And it was resolved. But Good. I already knew that mm -hmm. this would, that it held, held no water. It yeah. basically had nothing to do with, right. you know, the, the, the proper denial. The, the patient did qualify for this. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, or like you said, also the patient sees on, because now they have the accessibility to go online mm -hmm. and see whether or not they owe any money money with mm -hmm. the EOBs. And right. that's another thing that I also try to do is try to teach the 
patients that EOB is not a bill, okay? Right, <laughs> you know, right. EOB is just a summary of the information that we have done for you, mm-hmm. um, you know, and then that's it. You, you, you paid me your copay, you're okay. You don't mm-hmm. owe me anything. You're done, right. And in this yes. particular case, they were trying to say that the patient owed over $13,000 for that particular medication. Mm-hmm. And the patient was, oh my goodness, do I right. owe money? Right. <laughs> and I was like, no, you don't owe me a dollar and you don't owe anything into the pharmacy either because we are going to fight for this we are going to send this over to the insurance and i don't care how many medical directors have to write me an answer (laughs) but we are going to write it in a nice way i like to also include in my letters uh the timeline of all the phone calls and the letters that i have sent over So in my letter, I will say, okay, well, at this particular date, this is when it started. I called to verify on this claim. Then this is particular date. This is what we have done and go from there. And when you teach the office staff to do that, and then you try to explain it also to the provider, to the physician, and again, they're all on the same page. And that's one of the things that when I do my presentation on denial management, I try to give the most updated information. And I always tell the, uh, whoever is attending my presentation, I always tell them, you have to know the timely filing because they change. Mm -hmm. For example, for Medicare, we have a whole year. Mm -hmm. However, for the Medicare Advantage plan, some of the insurances like Blue Cross Blue Shield, for example, they changed it. Um, I think at first it was 180 days, which is for the commercial. Now it's only 90 days from the date of service. Yeah. So if you don't address that particular claim within yeah. that particular time frame, and even for the second level, that's mm-hmm. another thing too, right. is that people have to understand that it's not only from the first time that you actually try to address the, the issue, mm-hmm. but it's the second level or mm-hmm. the external level. Level, right. every single step has their own timely filing. And if you're not familiar with it and the insurances change it, and then you have the in-network and out-of-network, and oh what gosh. one of the payers did here mm-hmm. is that they made it universal. If you're in or out-of-network, it doesn't matter. There's still It's the same number of days. I think it's 120. And they changed that right before the uh, the COVID uh, the, the, wow. the happened. And again, if you're a provider who's out-of-network, you're not really looking at that because you think at. it doesn't apply to me. Right. I have a whole year, no mm-hmm. problem. Mm-hmm. But then when you get a denial and saying that the claim was not addressed in the timely filing Mm -hmm. now you're like oh my goodness goodness. and guess what you cannot appeal that right you're stuck with unable to collect the money Mm -hmm. uh, from the insurance or from the patient because the patient had nothing to do with that the patient already paid their copay or co-insurance or deductible you know it's the insurance situation and if you have properly trained staff then you know what's going on so those are the four things that i look at to have a successful, uh, just off the top of my head, but to have the successful uh, practice for any physician, if they address at least those four basic things, they will be so much easier for everybody to work together. And then again, you will not be worried about, oh my goodness, I, you know, I, I, I'm not collecting any money or you have a, a large amount in ARs. Why do we have 2 million or whatever the case might be? So Amazing. all of these, all of these things you have to take in consideration. Spot on. 
I appreciate all of your knowledge and experienced insights here on billing. So yeah, I'm going to get a lot of feedback from this conversation. So I know that it's going to go over really, really well with my audience because these, these tips were huge. So thank you for all of that. Now I know, I know it's going to be time for you to go. Um, but for my last question here, this is what I like to ask my guests, you know what, Kate, what are you still planning to do in the next five years? What's your next big goal? What's your next achievement going to be in the next five years? So honestly, if I had the opportunity, I would love work to for APC. I think it's an awesome organization. It has evolved uh, since I have joined it. Um, they have so many new programs. Uh, they offer now online testing for CPC and a lot of help to get people uh, certified and acquainted with the healthcare uh, field. And they have, I believe the APC has just more programs than any other one that I have seen, including AMBA or uh, AHIMA. Because AHIMA, I think they also focus more on, uh, you know, somebody who's working at the hospital. The inpatient side, uh, right. The APC has a variety, you mm-hmm. know, and that's what I like because you could be a certified biller or a coder or an in patient coder or an mm-hmm. outpatient coder, you know, mm-hmm. and now they added more designation cardiology and mm-hmm. ENT or something like that. So mm-hmm. I would love to work for them if I had that opportunity, but I, my, one of my other goals is to publish more articles for APC. Uh, I was excited about my article. The article that I published was about a genetic uh, testing trends. Um, this is uh, a topic, honestly, that I have not worked on be- previously, but I was able to capture the information about codes and reimbursement and the trend itself in, in the way that I, people really liked, uh, you know, the way it Excellent. was written and the information that it gave, because I believe that in that magazine, I have to tell you, there's so much of wealth of information in there. And when I'm looking for something, sometimes I can just go and click through and be like, oh, wait a minute. Um, I have a, a, a physician who's doing, uh, you know, uh, this particular procedure. And I was just looking for more information about it. So, and they will come up and I'll be like, all right, this is fantastic. Whether it's ICD-11s, which by the way, you know, they're coming. <laughs> And they publish that information. So Mm -hmm. I want to be part of that too and contribute more. So that's one of my other ones. And I want to present at the APC HealthCon. I never went. Unfortunately, every time we had it, um, you know, I I had to work or or something else was going on or we had the pandemic situation. So having uh, to present, uh, they're very selective from what I heard when it comes to specific topics. So I haven't even come up with a specific topic yet. So I'm trying to come up with something that people will want to do it. And that's one of my other dreams is to physically go to a health con and present uh, with my family because my husband and my son also want to go there too <laughs> and just have the presentation and uh, have the feedback also because you know every time you present you always you don't know how it's going to go and having it physically presenting and or online you know a lot of things could happen and then you always try to get feedback how was it what could I improve and everything else and then whether or not 
my topic contributed to helping somebody. I love when people uh, see my presentations, the local APC chapters, and then they email me for more clarification about whatever mm -hmm. other issues that they have in their office. Uh, you know, and I have no problem. So here you go. You can contact me. If you're something you don't understand, I can always give you a little bit more elaboration or attach a medical policy or something or whatever the case might be. So that also is one of my other uh, things in, in the next five years <laughs> to go to HealthCon and physically present. I, I would be ecstatic if that actually happens. <laughs> well, I love it. I think you can achieve any one of these goals in the next five years. I know you can do it. Thank It'll be great. You. It'll be great. Oh, I love it. I love it, Kate. Now, before you go, you know what? All of my listeners might not be connected with you. So would it be okay if I posted in my show notes where they can find you on LinkedIn? Are there any other places you would like me to highlight for you in my show notes? Yep. They can find me on my website for care2billing.com. And that's my blog. Basically, you can find my services. I started to also do on demand, which is part of Thinkific. That's the one that I found uh, to be, uh, the website is easy to use and it's more interactive and it's easier okay. to upload the information onto. So I'm starting to kind of put the webinars together and have that on there too. On my blog website, on care2billing.com, they can actually click on demand and they can actually go in there. I don't have anything yet, but that's one of the things that I'm going to do there. And I tried to post, uh, I haven't posted, I think last month I posted maybe three or four blogs, but anything new, uh, whether it's telemedicine, telehealth, whatever other things that change uh, that are important, I write the free blog posts. And then that is also on my LinkedIn account if anybody needs that. And then anybody can find that all the time. So that's, that's where they can go to find me. Excellent, Kate. Wonderful. I'll be sure I put all those details in my show notes. Thank you so much for this amazing conversation. I've loved it. You're very welcome, Sunil. Thank you for having me. It's my pleasure. Thank you, Kate. And now it's time for my best practice tips in trusty tip. So in today's compliance tip, I wanted to focus on a new HICPICS modifier, FT. That's F as in Frank, T as in Tom. Now this modifier FT is new and it's effective for dates of service on January 1st, 2022. Now they've tweaked the original description in the HICPICS updates. So as of March 3rd, 2022, there was a HICPICS second quarter update that did in fact revise the definition of modifier FT. Again, that's F as in Frank, T as in Tom. Now, of course, be mindful, this definition is retroactive to January 1st, 2022. So it states, quote, Modifier FT is defined as an unrelated evaluation and management, an ENM visit on the same day as another ENM visit or during a global procedure. And that means it's either going to be preoperative, postoperative, or on the same day as the procedure as applicable. And in parentheses, they also tell you to report it when an ENM visit is furnished within the global period, but is unrelated 
or when one or more additional ENM visits furnished on the same day are unrelated. Now, specifically to critical care services, right? This modifier should be used for critical care performed by a surgeon during a global period. However, the critical care must be unrelated to the procedure or the surgery that was performed. Documentation must clearly support the reason for the service as unrelated to the primary surgical event. Now, of course, this emphasizes that unrelated critical care warrants the use of modifier FT. F is in Frank, T is in Tom. Now, patients may require these types of critical care visits during the global period for a procedure or a surgery, whether this is preoperative or the same day or during the postoperative period. And let's be mindful, in some cases, in some instances, the CPT codes that have a global surgical period include the pre-op and the post-op critical care services already bundled within them, right? So we have to be mindful. Now, with this new release of updated policies right back in January of 2022, CMS provides authoritative guidance that explicitly states that Medicare does allow separate payment for unrelated critical care services that are rendered on the same day or rendered during the global surgical period. Now, proper reporting of these services includes the appendage of modifier FT, that's F as in Frank, T as in Tom, to the critical care CPT codes. Now, this is brand new, right? Brand new modifier that helps track all of these types of services. So start using your modifier FT if these types of situations apply to your practice. Now, of course, the key is in the details, right? And the most specific detail here is the word unrelated. So it has to be unrelated. And for Medicare purposes, to cover these types of services that are described by CPT codes, 99291, which is, of course, defined as critical care, evaluation and management of the critically ill or the critically injured patient, first 30 to 74 minutes. And also that add-on code, right, for 99292 for each of the additional 30 minutes. When it's performed before or after the surgery or on the same day as a procedure. Now, of course, be mindful that your documentation of those two services must be distinct. And then therefore the documentation should demonstrate how they stand alone and separate as well, right? And CMS continues to provide their guidance and help us understand how to use this new modifier correctly. So based on the March detail and the March revision of the definition, when there are cases of a critical care visit that's unrelated to the procedure with the global surgical period, those types of critical care visits may be paid separately in addition to that global surgery, right? To that procedure, if certain conditions are met. Again, fine detail, highlight on the word certain conditions. So CMS will allow for payment for the pre-op or the post-op critical care 
in addition to the procedure if the patient is critically ill, right? That's the most important feature for the critical care services. The patient must be critically ill, which means they must meet the definition of critical care. And then therefore that requires the full attention of the physician and the critical care is above and beyond and unrelated to the specific anatomic injury or the general surgical procedure that was performed. So for example, you can think about things like trauma or in burn cases, right? In those types of situations, you should be appending modifier FT. F is in Frank, T is in Tom. So I hope that helps. So just remember, it's completely fundamental that if you have Medicare as a payer, to keep your eye on all of these revisions and updates and new things that happen throughout the year. We've seen plenty of changes as of January 1st, 2022, and this modifier FT is no exception. So keep your eye on correct and compliant coding and billing practices and make sure that you're adhering to all of them to ensure you are meeting all of those requirements from the very, very start. When the documentation paints the medical picture with clarity and with vibrancy from the onset of care, a certified medical coder can then abstract codes with accuracy. And finally, I focus season five spark on clarity and focus. I want this fifth season spark to be filled with the world's thought leaders. All of our writers, all of our artists, our philosophers, everyone who inspires the need for clarity and focus in all that we do. So in this week's inspiring quote in Spark is from author and motivational speaker, Zig Ziglar. I don't care how much power, brilliance, or energy you have. If you don't harness it and focus it on a specific target and hold it there, you're never going to accomplish as much as your ability warrants. Absolutely true, right? I think this quote inspires us to really focus on specifics for change, for improvement. I think this quote reminds us that we cannot change everything we want to see transformed without clarity of vision. I am happy Zig Ziglar's spark still burns brightly in all of us today. So that wraps up today's episode. And as always, I appreciate you all diving into today with me. If you want more information from me, please go ahead and follow me on LinkedIn. I'll leave links to everything in the show notes below. Please have an amazing week ahead and please continue staying safe and healthy. Thank you so much for listening in on today's very special episode. And I hope every week with me brings you closer to helping your providers paint a masterpiece. See you next Wednesday.